Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. For Nancy Voorhees, it has always been about people. No matter where she was or what she was doing, people were her priority. She could have never foreseen how exactly this love of people would play out in her life. Listen to her story with your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah. And hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein. Welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I trust you enjoyed last week's program with Jim Mellick and his amazing artwork. And regarding Jim's artwork, for listeners who may travel to Southern Florida in the coming months, I encourage you to visit the new Marco Island Art Museum to see his wonderful display, the Wounded Warrior Dog and Other Parables exhibit. You'll be glad you did. Today in the program, I'm talking with a Cedarville University colleague who has spent the past 15 years building relationships with alumni and friends of the university. I'm talking with Nancy Voorhees, whom I was told was the first major gifts officer at Cedarville University when she joined the staff in 2008. Prior to her roles at Cedarville, she spent 26 years at TD Bank in her native Canada. Nancy is a graduate of Moody Bible Institute and for several years thought she was going to be an opera singer. We'll talk more about this in today's program. But at the core, Nancy is all about people, and perhaps there is no other person at Cedarville who has as many connections as Nancy. I'm sure you're going to find today's conversation with her to be interesting and compelling. So let me welcome Nancy Voorhees to today's Cedarville Stories podcast. Thank you, Mark, for inviting me into your studio in the newsroom and your stage. Oh, it's it's our stage today. And uh, as I mentioned, Nancy, in the introduction, you studied to be an opera singer at, at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and at an opera school while you were working at TD Bank. Why did you decide to not pursue a career as an onstage performer? Well, I really hadn't even considered opera, quite frankly, until I went to Moody and I was going to be a piano major and someone suggested I should audition for a double major. I did. I didn't make piano. And interestingly, I did make voice major. And that's what I studied at Moody. And that was suggested to me then that perhaps that would be a course of um, career that I could pursue, given the voice that God had blessed me with. However, when I went back to Victoria, BC, which was where I was living when I went to Moody, um, I found out that they'd open an opera school. So I didn't go off to opera school. I just studied there, but I could work at the bank at the same time. So they accommodated me in that regard. And that was very helpful. I had colleagues at the opera school who had world-class voices. Mm -hmm. And one of them ended up on the biggest stages of the world as the lead tenor in many operas that you would, uh, that would be household names. And in watching him and his drive to sing, and while I was also working at the bank at the same time, I realized I didn't have the same drive to sing as he did. I had a drive to be with people. And because I was doing both at the same time, I came to realize that at somewhere around 25 years of age, that really I wasn't driven to sing. I was driven to be with people. So yeah. I, I chose not to pursue the opera field and the opera stage and just use my music. I shouldn't say just, but then turn to use my music more in churches, yeah. directing choirs, yeah. singing, etc. So before you went to Moody, were you singing a lot as a high school student? I had sung in choirs um, and school choirs and church choirs. And uh, the church choir director actually said, I'd like you to sing a solo. I said, I can't sing. And he said, oh, I think you can. So my <laughs> first solo was with a men's choir in front of 900 people and on the radio. And I hadn't had a voice lesson at that point. So as p some people said in that church where my dad was pastoring, we all groaned while Nancy learned to sing. <laughs> I bet you did a great job. 
Well, I do have that recording, actually. It was from December of 1972. So maybe, 50 years ago this year. Maybe someday you can play that for us. And, uh, but uh, I should also say that uh, you are a pastor's kid from Canada. Correct. Um, and so I'm just thinking Canada, Cedarville is quite a distance. How did you find Cedarville? Well, I was in the Dayton area for a short time, and my dad knew about um, a friend of his that I'd known all his life that was coming down to visit his daughter here that was at that time on faculty. She and her husband, Kimberly and David Sharp, were on our nursing faculty at the time. He said, look Nancy up. So he did, and I said, oh, I've heard about Cedarville. I don't know anything much about the school. I'd love to have a tour. I came to campus one day and met with them. It was the beginning of the school year in 2006. And he said, oh, Kimberly has a job she'd like to talk to you about. And I said, Dick, I can't work in the States. I have to go back to Canada. I can't work here. So she talked to me about working in advancement, actually. And then just a few days later, a brand new job was posted that went through the email system to faculty and staff. And she called me up and said, you need to apply for this job. This is for you. And it was actually just transferring the skill sets that I had gleaned in working at TD Bank. For a number of years, I worked as a manager of private banking in what I would consider to be uh, the, pretty much the wealthiest corner of Canada. Mm. And um, I had wonderful clients that were fairly wealthy and very famous, some of them. And so those skill sets of building those kinds of relationships with people with money were exactly what Cedarville was looking for. Yeah. So I applied. They kind of put it on the back burner while they did some transitions here at, at the school. It was a long process, and 18, 19 months later, I arrived. Let's talk about that process, because it was fascinating. I think you said um, you were interviewed seven hours consecutively, but then, I mean, that, that, maybe not, that may not be totally unusual, but what's unusual is then the, the VP at the time made you go through a special test. Tell us about that test. Well, after being interviewed by 11 people over a seven-hour stretch um, consecutively, and then apparently it was unanimous that they decided that, yes, I'd be the right person for the job, then he said, well, I never hire anybody unless I run them through by this psychologist that I know up in Minneapolis. And so they flew me from Toronto to Minneapolis to have a whole afternoon of psychological testing, IQ testing, and personality testing. So I don't think anybody else at Cedarville was hired by him from the outside that had to be put through that testing. And I don't suppose anybody, I expect right. I'm the only Cedarville employee that's ever had to go through that. So in our conversation of, of a week or so ago, um, in preparation of today's program, um, you, you told me that uh, you were the very first major gift officer in the history of Cedarville University. So just for clarification, so our listeners understand what that means. What is a major gifts officer? Well, and I need to clarify. Thank you, Mark. I need to clarify that I was the first one hired, but because the inter- the process to get me into the country, the work permit process took five and a half months from the time I was hired to the time I actually was able to come across the border and come here. Um, they had hired another one from the CDR radio station. Um, and so then there was two of us. So he showed up first, but I was the first one you hired. You were the first one hired, so yes, you're the I first was. one. And what is a major gifts officer? Well, that's a title in the philanthropy industry that is often used to describe people who have abilities to make gifts that are different sizes. But some some people, it's 50000 and more. Some places, it's 10000 and more. Okay. And so for Cedarville, we look at a major gift as being anything really over 10000 so how has this role in advancement, and I think you probably, probably have had the same role, maybe different titles, I don't know, but how has your role or roles at Cedarville perfectly fit your skill set and personality? Well, as I mentioned, um, I realized 
back in my mid-20s that I really was um, a people person. And I was driven to be with people. As a banker, um, on the front yeah. line in those days, a teller, I was with people during the day. And so it's, this is a people job. This is building relationships with people, finding out about their lives, being interested in them, not just their money. Yeah. Everybody... In, when people are looking for um, gifts to come into an organization, um, everybody wants their money. But who really cares about them as people? And that's what really this is all about. Who, who has the interest and in, takes the interest of finding out what are their interests and passions, not just what are the needs of the organizations. So that's my personality. And the skill sets really were, as I mentioned from the bank, being able to develop those relationships over a period of years. Um, with different generations of families, wealthy families. And so having a comfort zone in talking to people about money. Lots of people will build relationships with people, but they're really uncomfortable in bringing up money or talking about money or then asking for money. But um, when you work for an organization like Cedarville University, you're not asking for their money. You're actually asking for them to consider investing and becoming ministry partners yeah. with the organization that you that in this case, Cedarville University. Right. Nancy, you alluded earlier that um, you didn't go into opera because you wanted to be with people, but I think that's only partly part of the truth. So Nancy, here's an ironic twist. When you first began your career at Cedarville, on average, how many days were you away from your home? Well, I would say my first trip that I made um, was six months after I'd come to the school. Cedarville was new to me. I had to learn the people about at the school. I had to learn about the school. I really had to rep to be able to represent the school well. I had to know a lot about it. So right. I gleaned that in about the first six months or so before I really traveled. And I would say probably then I was away anywhere from 10 days to two weeks a month, give or take. Okay. And I was not married at the time, so... Um, I was free to travel. The longest trip I ever took for Cedarville was in the fall of 2010, and I was away for seven straight weeks on the road, going through 10 different states in the upper Midwest to the West Coast. And how does that compare to being an opera singer? So yes, here's God's ironic sense of humor. I remember thinking to myself in yeah. that mid-20s period when I was analyzing, do I want to be a banker? Do I want to really pursue this opera stage career? That, oh, wow, I'd have to be away from home. I don't know what. 200 nights of the year, that's a pretty lonely life. And when you're, you'd be on stage with people and they'd clap, clap, clap and go home and you'd be left with all those emotions and you'd have the rehearsals and maybe your colleagues, et cetera. But otherwise you'd be somewhere else in the world and away from family. So the irony is that yes, I would have been away from home then and I chose not to do that. But at Cedarville, I suddenly was going to be away from home 10 days to two weeks of the month. Um, but the difference being... When I was away, I was with people all day. Yeah. So that made the real difference. And it was just an irony that I turned down one career because part of it was away from home so much. And then I welcomed and embraced this career that included being away right. from home so much. So fast forward 15 years now, you're at this point in your career. How many, how many days a week or a month, let's say a month, are you typically gone? Well, I'm actually traveling a little less for the school this year. They, and they know that. Um, I built relationships for the school for 15 years, and I'm working with a lot of the same people, so I don't have to travel quite as much. But typically, again, it could be anywhere 10 days of the month. I just got back from Oregon. However, that time, um, my husband's working out there right now, so I went out to be with him, and I just worked from there. But in March, I made that a trip for Cedarville. So I try and dovetail his work with my work, and it's, again, I try to 
do a lot of that travel in the winter months um, because I have a garden to tend, a flower garden to tend. I was oh. raised in Victoria, B.C., which is the city of gardens. So um, yeah. it's in the wintertime, I don't have a garden to tend. So I tend to go to Texas 10 days to two weeks of of January, let's say. Okay, you talked about your husband, John, who I call him a traveling pharmacist. You may have a, a better term or a more correct term, but he, as you said, like right now he's working in Oregon. Um, and so because you have the flexibility to travel with him, um, how are you able to juggle your work uh, and balance between the different time zones and still be successful? A lot of the people that I have in my portfolio or the people assigned to me that I work on building relationships with for Cedarville and have for a number of years, the other colleague and I, when he first came, we divided the country in half. And he took the pretty much the states east of the Mississippi and I took the states west of the Mississippi. So for most of the 15 years, I've been working with people in the other time zones, whether okay. it's Central Mountain or Pacific. So I... I'm I'm a night I'm a night hawk and a night owl. So the fact that I'd be up till eleven o'clock and calling them at seven o'clock their time, ten o'clock my time, it just worked. And because I was raised in Victoria, BC, and all our family lived in Toronto, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles and cousins, that was a three-hour time difference. I grew up just kind of always thinking two to three-hour time differences. I do have to remember what zone I'm actually in, though, to make those subtractions work. And you asked about my husband and how do, I, how do we make that work. He right. is an interim director of pharmacy at hospitals around the U.S., okay. works on a contract basis, and licensed in 26 states. We had a long-distance courtship for three years. We were introduced by Cedarville alums in Washington State. And um, we now have a long-distance marriage that's 11 years next month. And so... I keep our calendar in my head, and I know when he's traveling, and I kind of, if he's about to book his plane tickets, I say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm going to be going to Phoenix, so can you maybe get off in the plane in Phoenix and stay with me for a couple of days, and then we'll go home together? So I kind of keep his calendar in my head, and my calendar in my head, and I, we kind of just orchestrate our travel kind of together. And we've met in more airports than most people have ever been to. Have you counted how many airports? You I did at one point. I've stopped. <laughs> okay. And uh, maybe a better question about not just how many... How many days you travel for Cedarville, but how many days are you together with John? This year it's been more, and I kind of work it again so that I'm either with him or he's maybe been working from home a little bit more. COVID helped that. He can do a little bit of that for, even though he's working in a hospital because uh, they still meet just on um, phone calls a lot. Okay. However, um, we will typically he's gone for 11 days at a time. So if I'm not traveling with him, then we'd have four days together, and I just make sure I'm home when he's home. Okay. I think in the first five years of our marriage, he'd maybe been home five days without me. Wow. Because I just make sure that I'd be home when he's home. And, but yeah, typically yeah. it was 11 days you know, off and three yeah. or four days together. And is home base Cedarville or the Dayton area? The Dayton area, yes. We live in Englewood. It was the home that I bought before I met him when I came to Cedarville. And it was cl it's seven minutes from the Dayton airport. So boy, is that convenient at five in the morning when I need to drop him off. That's a vision to be able to buy a house knowing that, not knowing that you're going to have to... Exactly. Well, I was traveling anyways, but I bought, it for, I bought it there for other reasons. But as it turns out, it's been wonderful. So uh, when we talked on the phone in preparation for today's podcast, one phrase that you said caught my attention because I can really I can relate to it in my role and that is you describe yourself as a dot connector explain what you mean by that it's interesting I've said that for a long time about myself and that's there's two parts that play into that it's the interest in people yeah and I have what I consider to be um, a genetic memory gene 
My mm. grandfather had a phenomenal memory, almost not just of what he read. He just he memorized pages of the dictionary. He would memorize pages of the encyclopedia. He just had a, a memory gene. And my mother got it, and, and I and a couple of my siblings had it, have it. I guess I could say we all have it probably, but I know I have it strongly. So I don't, I rely on my memory. So when people kind of tell me things about their life, et cetera, and then I'm meeting somebody else and I think, ooh, now if, if I can ever introduce so-and-so to so-and-so, what I need to make sure is that they understand this about each other. Yeah. So when I'm introducing people, I will think of something they have in common that I know and then introduce them so that they can springboard their relationship off of that. And I've been able to do that for other people meeting, Cedarville people meeting, or even in my connections with some of the things in my background or pe- things I know about other people, other Cedarville alums or other Cedarville ministry partners that I know that then when I'm here, oh, I heard that such and such. And the memory gene is really what helps me. But if you can connect a dot to something someone's interested in, either to another person or something right. you've read about, you springboard the relationship, right. you know, another few feet or few yards yeah. further down the football yeah. field, shall we say. I find it fascinating to be a dot connector. Now, I, my, my role as a dot connector is different than yours. I mean, first of all, I don't have the memory that you have. But my dot connection work is largely with either Cedarville faculty with local, state, national media, who, and so I connect our faculty with media outlets all over the country and with, with state politicians. And to, to see the relationships come together, to see that our faculty can help um, a media outlet in telling a story, it's, it's very encouraging, isn't it? And engaging. Absolutely. Well, because it's all about people. Yeah. I mean, that, when God created Adam and Eve and told him to procreate the earth, et cetera, and, and even when they were put out of the Garden of Eden, it was, you know, um, about relationships for Eve. I mean, it was you were going to have ch- pain in childbirth and et cetera, yeah. and your heart will be for your, your husband, et cetera, is about relationships. And we were, we are relational beings, different right. from um, animal kingdom. Right. And so the fact that when you can relate to somebody and connect a dot of interest, it, it just, yeah, there's a joy that comes from that because yes. you've, it makes the relationship richer. It does. And I can't also acknowledge my father's role in this, too. As a pastor, he didn't necessarily have quite the memory gene my mother had, but he had, I got the deep interest in people from my father. And he was a master conversationalist. Mm. He had a bachelor's degree, and that was all. He was a great preacher. Even Don Carson said that recently. He actually Mm. preached Don Carson's, uh, D.A. Carson's ordination service. So, and Uh he said just recently, your father was a great preacher. But he had this great interest in people, and he, he would always invite guests to come to our home for a meal, probably Sunday at lunch, typically. Right. Not much notice to my mother always. <laughs> and then I would sit at his, I was sitting always at his right side uh, at the end of the table. That was my place at the table as the eldest. And I would listen to him kind of just have a conversation with our guests. He sometimes wouldn't know them very well, and he would be able to bring out in them what their interests were. And again, connect a dot to something he saw or something he'd read and just listen to him building relationships with yeah. people at our dining room table for years. Yeah. So that's where I get, I guess that skill set. So to me, it's God never wastes your experiences. Right. As a young person, as a teenager sitting there, you know, kind of being glued to the table and, and listening to my father telling stories or getting the guests to tell stories. 
God used that to springboard me into this job. And yet right. that was, you know, 40 years before I ever started to work here. Right. It just never wastes our experiences. Never does. And that's, that's so exciting. And it's so, it's so fun to be part of um, different people's lives and, and build those relationships. So a classic example of connecting dots on behalf of Cedarville, uh, Nancy, is a story that you recently shared with me about Rob and Mary and Elliot, whom I hope to have on the podcast in 2023. Rob is the cousin of the martyred missionary Jim Elliott. Uh, the Elliots attended Wheaton College in the 1940s and 50s, and their children attended Taylor University, which is a really fine school. But they truly support Cedarville University and what's taking place here with great passion because Marion's dad had a vision to establish a Wheaton College in Ohio. That vision became Cedarville College and now Cedarville University. Can you briefly share this story with us? Because it's so encouraging to hear. Well, it is interesting. I was able to meet with Rob and Mary and Elliot for breakfast. Um, Recently. Recently, back in May in Wheaton. Um, Rob is just turned 91 last week, and he owns a construction company, and he still goes into work around 6 o'clock every morning. So that's a lesson in not retiring. Not sure that I'll be still working for Cedarville at 91. However, um, in meeting with them for breakfast, I was... Um, puzzled, I guess you could say, about their interest in supporting Cedarville and being ministry partners with us when they went to Wheaton and their kids went to Taylor. I said, so tell me what this, where this interest in Cedarville comes from. And Marion told me the story of her dad, that back in Cleveland, that's where she was raised, and when she was growing up, and she went to Wheaton College, and so many of the young people, I think, from their church were going to Wheaton College, and he was saying, well, why can't we have a Wheaton College in Ohio? Right. So he had the idea of starting something like that, and he went to, as I recall the story being told to me, he went to some of the people with money in their church and just said, we need to get something going. And out of that started to come classes, and then the actual Cleveland Baptist Bible Institute was founded because of his idea and him working with some of the people in their church. And I, as I recall, Cleveland Baptist Bible Institute started in the church in Cleveland. Okay. And, and then Cleveland Baptist Bible Institute in 1953 merged with Cedarville College when they took, when they did a trade over or a changeover of the board of trustees from the Presbyterian years, from the Baptist years. And Cleveland Baptist Bible Institute moved down here in 1953-54 to Cedarville College, to the premises here. And that's, but that's the germ of the Baptist part right. and history of the Baptist part of Cedarville University. We hear so much about the history of the Presbyterian years. We don't, we have never really heard, I haven't anyways, very much about the Baptist years and what got Cleveland Baptist Bible Institute started. So I was really, I guess I don't know what word to quite use, but... I'm encouraged. Yes, that's a good one. But wow, what an interesting story. And yeah. again, it's people who are so interesting and people have yeah. stories that have never been told. And I think that one's maybe one that has never been told. You know, uh, we're about to, out of time on the podcast uh, and you kind of alluded to this before, but so what's your formula for building relationships, whether it's focus on Cedarville work or just being life in general? The VP, Ron Harris, that you alluded to before, who hired me in 2007, even though I wasn't able to start here until 2008, I asked him, I didn't have any fundraising in my background. Why did you hire me? Yeah. And he said, oh, Nancy, I can teach fundraising, but I could tell in a minute and a half on the phone that you had, DNA, you had relationships in your DNA. I can't teach relationship building, but I can teach fundraising. So if he knew in a... In a minute and a half, why did it take seven hours? 
Well, he found he had. It wasn't he that interviewed me for seven hours. He had all the people in the okay. advancement division. So there was eleven people that okay. interviewed me. Okay. But he. So it's the DNA of that relationship interest that I've already kind of talked about with yeah. the the family that I was raised yeah. in, et cetera, et cetera. It's just that innate interest in people that yeah. I have, finding yeah. people very interesting, and and so again, because I had come from a background where I worked with people with money. You need to be interested in the people to ever get their business in that case or, or to have them invest in a wonderful um, place of excellence like Cedarville University. Right. And it's that interest, that pers- taking a personal interest in them because relationships are all about trust. They are. And building trust takes time. Yeah, it does. So you have to have long view. And I've always said, you know, I have the long view in relationships. I don't know how many other relationship managers that have passed through the doors of Cedarville since I was hired in 2007, but I'm the only one still here. As far as from some of those originals, there, we have a couple of other current ones, yes, but I'm the only one yeah. in the same job. And I'm glad you're here. Uh, you bring a, a spark, a, a vibrant energy uh, to the team. So thank you for being uh, my colleague. I have time for two final questions, and we're, we're going to go off the Cedarville grid I want to talk to you about uh, another passion of yours, and that's missions. And you are involved in various ministries, but one is Pioneers. It's a mission organization, I believe, based in Orlando, Florida. How do you serve Pioneers and its missionaries? Thank you for bringing up Pioneers, um, because yes, missions is a passion. I have to go back to my childhood once again, as my father, as a pastor of churches in Canada, had a big heart for missions. He had an understanding of the Great Commission and the unreached people groups of the world, and just really supporting missionaries. So the churches that I was raised in were always big mission-supporting churches. So that was in my DNA from a child. Then once I married my husband, John, we started leading Cedarville mission trips here, um, and taking students with us to do medical missions in Romania. And then back in the fall of 2018, I got a call from the president of Pioneers, um, Steve Richardson, Mm -hmm. who is the son of Don Richardson of the book and the author of Peace Child, the story of um, the Sawi tribe, the headhunting tribe that they went to uh, back in 1962. And I know this story so well because my father married Steve Richardson's parents, Don and Carol Richardson, we were their sending church. So we got all those letters back from Don and Carol of the very early days of the Peace Child story. So long before it was a book or a movie, we knew the story of the Peace Child, etc. So that was, again, from my childhood. Steve called me and said that they were um, going to be adding a few people to the board, and would I be interested and willing to consider serving the board of Pioneers? And it was a yes from me. How many years have you been serving in that capacity? I was um, welcomed, voted on, and welcomed onto the board on, in April of 2019. So it's been three and a half years now. And what a privilege it is yeah. to just serve two excellent organizations with mm-hmm. very high standards of excellence of Christ-centered education for Cedarville and Christ-centered mission um, opportunities through Pioneers. Yeah, I've, I've uh, heard of Pioneers and followed Pioneers for several years because of our Mutual friend, Chi Chung, with, who's the chairman of the board of Pioneers. He is. And I understand, Mark, I have you to thank for being a reference for me, unbeknownst to me, that when Chi Chung called me to interview me over the phone, he said, oh, yes, I've heard all about you from Mark Weinstein. And so he talked to you before he talked to me. So thank you. Hey, no problem. I think, it's a, I think it's a great fit. And I'm glad you're with Pioneers. And my last question, Nancy, is as we, we close the program, what do you want people to know? who are listening to this podcast, 
that will encourage them in the faith about Cedarville and just life in general. I suppose the nugget that I'd like to leave with our listeners is that I've learned from my own personal experience and from working with our ministry partners that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. And I would even go so far as to say it's more blessed to give than to keep or to try to keep your resources for your own personal use and your family. I'm not talking about giving way more than you can afford to, but certainly not trying to keep more than you need. And the fact that we have as believers, the opportunity to invest in kingdom ministry around the world, to find out where God is at work and to join Him in that work, whether it's with your time, your skill sets, and definitely with your resources. Um, You can be the answer to people's prayers. People are... Organizations, faith-based organizations are always praying for people to come alongside and join them. And you can be the answer to those people's prayers. And that's really a wonderful place to be, very humbling. And I would also say that, you know, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And so to have that joy of giving, that joy of holding your resources on an open palm before the Lord, to just be able to give where He leads you to give, to invest, not give necessarily, just give, but to invest um, your resources in the work that God is doing, that will have kingdom impact, that will have impact for eternity. We don't get to take our resources with us, but we do get to take the, the rewards with us to heaven of how we've invested the funds that God has entrusted to us while we're living here on earth. So the joy of giving, the joy of living generously, and about Cedarville, um, wow, what a wonderful place to invest your resources. Uh, what's going on here at Cedarville is really exciting. Uh, our students are impacted every day of their thousand days here on campus. Um, the gospel is lived out in the classroom every single day, and our students are really challenged to live with gospel purpose and to prepare for careers with gospel purpose. So thank you again, Mark, for being able to share and live generously, live joyously, and and just have the joy of cheerful living and giving. Great, great counsel, great advice. Great way to end the program today. Nancy, thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Mark, it's been my privilege. Thank you so much for being interested in my story with Cedarville. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.